Okay, so another edition of the Wacky World of Diabetes podcast, and I'm really pleased today to have Shashi Petrovich, the CEO of Insulet, as my guest today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, David? Doing awesome. So as I do with every one of my podcasts, I want you to tell our listeners, give me your history, give them the log cabin story. How did you get to be CEO of Insulet? My life story. Well, maybe I'll start a few decades in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I spent my career in med tech and life sciences. And actually, the early part of my career was spent in women's health. So the first almost 20 years of my career with SciTech, which was an early stage commercial company when I joined it in the Boston area. And then Hologic, which is one of the largest women's healthcare companies in the world, acquired SciTech. I stayed with those two organizations for almost 15 years through a lot of commercial leadership, sales, marketing, business development, and then eventually left to run a Pritzker private equity-backed company, also in women's health for a couple of years. And then back in, I guess, 2013, is that right? Yeah, 2013 or 2014, was recruited to come work for Insulin. So is that right? No, 2015, actually it was. Yeah, 2015. So, you know, that was incredibly exciting. I've been here for six to seven years now. I can't believe it's been that long. It's been a remarkable run and really probably the most challenging and rewarding, you know, part of my career to date. So, did you find any synergies between women's health and diabetes? Was there any congruencies there? Well, I remember when we joined, I joined with my predecessor, Pat Sullivan, and people like you, David, said they don't know anything about diabetes. And, um, but in fact, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of, I think there was some benefit. There's certainly challenges because you're right. It is a very unique industry. And people who come to diabetes, I think, fall in love with it and sort of stay for a long time. And there's a lot of strong networks, strong relationships. Um, But I think there was benefit in coming from an outside industry and just taking some of the basic principles of successful commercial strategies, successful access strategies, and thinking a little bit differently about how we might be able to broaden access and broaden utilization of our technologies. And so I think in some ways it was helpful. In other ways, it's a very tightly knit, very, in some ways, incestuous market. And so that's challenging to get your arms wrapped around and it's complex and it it was moving pretty quickly. So was there one or two things that like, you know, you ran into you said, God, this really shocks me. Was there something that... Well, when I really dug into this whole four-year warranty, you know, everybody gets a pump. You know, I was given the history where back in the day when pumps didn't work very well, people were given two pumps every four years. And when you really realize that the entire market dynamic and the entire payer scheme was driven by industry dynamics instead of what's good for the patient or what's good for the healthcare system. That was really eye-opening for me. And and for us, we saw, you know, a big opportunity there, but that was pretty eye-opening. And you've been there through kind of an interesting phase, okay? You're, you know, insulin probably, well, still is pretty much the only pay-as-you-go system. And that's so much different than the conventional insulin pump model. Did you learn anything from doing a compare and contrast? Did that like sharpen your focus at all? Compare and contrast to the other models, you mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, because like you are payers, you know, you you know, basically like you're running a new campaign, right? Where you can try and if you don't like it, you know, you can you don't have to keep with it. You really can't do that with like a conventional system. Yeah. So did that open your eyes to something or 
Yeah, I mean, it was a very deliberate choice because we looked at the existing market paradigm and said, hey, this isn't working well for patients. It's you know a lot of risk for the healthcare system to bear. And it's a scheme essentially that is designed to meet the needs of industry, but not the needs of the other stakeholders. And when we did our market research to really understand, here we are. 30 years after pump at this time, right? Now it's 40 years later, almost after pumps have been developed, we know they drive better outcomes. They're pretty broadly reimbursed, even though they're still somewhat expensive. Why are people not using them? And the reason is some people are not aware of them. Some people think they're too complex, but the biggest driver was the economics. You know, they're very expensive and there's this big hurdle. Payers put hurdles in place to say, do you have, are you compliant? Do you keep close enough blood glucose logs? You know, have you proven that you're worthy of a pump? And so physicians think that way. And we thought if we could eliminate all of that, you know, eliminate the risk for the payer, eliminate the risk for the patient, we can probably get a lot more people access to this technology and get them better outcomes. And so it was a deliberate choice. We coined the term pay as you go. You know, we went out there and said, we're going to get rid of those barriers. We're going to help more people get access to the technology and we're going to see if it works. And, and it works, you know, payers like the fact that there's no risk and more patients are willing to try it. And physicians now can think about different patient segments that they might not otherwise have done that for because there's really no risk. You might as well just try it and see if it works for you. If my memory is correct, and I think it is, something like, I think you said, I think in your last call, 80% of your patients convert from MDI. Is that correct? Something like that? That's right. Yep, that's right. What have you learned from them in particular? Why are they converting? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the MDI user is looking for two things, generally speaking. One is just better control. And, you know, especially as we've seen more and more people use CGM, they're getting more and more insight into how little time they're spending in range and in control. And so that very act of putting on a CGM and getting constant access, real-time access to your data makes somebody want to go in search of tools that will help them get into better control. So that there's there's one motivator. And then the other motivator is just to reduce burden. It's a lot to worry about. People skip doses or adjust around life because it's complicated. You know all of this. You know, I grew up with my father uh, having type one. So, you know, it's it's a burden on everybody around the person living with type one. And so just trying to reduce that burden. So one is outcomes and the other is trying to reduce burden. And that's what goes, what makes somebody go in search of new technology. Do you remember when you did it? What motivated you to do it? Well, when I went on a pump, it really was because of Terry Gregg, because Terry was a smart guy. So he went, he knew he was having a hard time convincing me. So he went to my wife and said, <laughs> they should be on a pump. And so, you know, Deb, they said, why aren't you on a pump? And so... Yeah, my first, in fact, I remember my journey because my first pump was a 508. And when the Omnipod was first coming out and Dwayne was running insulin, I got invited to, I think it was what your old headquarters were. I don't know if you're still there. No, uh, in Bedford it, or Bill Ricca, one of those two. Yeah. Yeah. So I went in there and it was me and I don't remember who else. We were all sitting in this conference room and I basically said to somebody, okay, I'll try it. You know, I'm like, what the heck? You know, so they started me on it. 
And I fell in love with it. And, you know, for me, it was great to be wireless. That was my thing. Yeah. You know, like you like to say, tubeless. Yes. And the candid part about all of this, which I thought was like, to me, the most interesting thing, being on the Omnipod for me was a learning experience because when I talked to women who were pumpers, one woman said to me, I can now wear dresses I've never worn before. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and you know, as a guy, I don't think of this, you know, wardrobe choices, but it's true. Yeah. You know, yeah, that that was that was kind of my journey. And you know, I, I did go on the basal IQ for a little while because I just wanted to try it, you know. And you know, maybe you could tell everybody about because I'm I'm personally anxious for the Omnipod 5 to get here. <laughs> tell everybody about you know what this product does, how it's different maybe from Control IQ, sure, and maybe the seven whatever they are, seven seventy, seven eighty, whatever's out now. So give me a kind of a overview of you know what does it do, why is it different, and where. And now we're recording this earlier, so maybe God, you know, maybe God will smile on you, and it'll be approved by the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So Omnipod 5 is our automated insulin delivery system in partnership with Dexcom and their G6 sensor. It is transformative. It really is a unique technology. And it's so interesting to me because it, you know, we have been competing in the marketplace without CGM integration and automated insulin delivery. And we've been doing just fine, growing 20 to 30% a year for the last five years running. But we've been doing that on our form factor and our ease of use of our technology. And so it's, it's to me, very exciting to think about Omnipod 5 leveling that playing field as we add CGM integration and automated insulin delivery. So that's one thing that's exciting about it. But, you know, all of our users and what my team is excited about is that it will really leapfrog the market. It will be, you know, the first fully wearable wireless or tubeless automated insulin delivery. The data demonstrates terrific outcomes in terms of improved time and range and either equivalent or lower hypoglycemia. And all of this will be controlled by a user's smartphone. A whole host of technological features that we can talk about, you know, you and your, your audience in particular might be interested in. But what is probably most exciting to me is we've added a lot of technology into the system, but we have kept it very simple for users. And so I get a lot of feedback on the system. We've now got 400 people or so using it through our Pivotals and our preschool uh, Pivotal. And all sorts of feedback about features that people have fallen in love with, et cetera. But the, the data that was most exciting to me is at ADA last year when users rated our system easier to use than an iPhone. And that kind of gets to the intuitiveness and, and how hard we worked to keep all of this very complex technology and elegant technology as simple as possible from a user experience. It's our, it's our mantra is to simplify life. And, and so every choice we made from an innovation standpoint was to keep the simple the system simple. You know, David, that as you said, 80% of our new users come on from multiple daily injections and then we're the market leader in pediatrics. And so we need a system that people can move right on to from MDI and that little kids can use. It's got to be that simple. And so we really designed it for the masses. And that's what's going to make it, I think, a, a winning product in the market. It's my understanding, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but your system learns as you go, correct? It is adaptive. The way that the system works, the algorithm is located on the pod. 
So either your mobile phone or the handheld controller, whatever you're using, when you prime a pod and you first put on your pod, it will pair the sensor on the pod and they will talk directly to one another. So you don't really need your PDM or your controller or your mobile phone to stay in closed loop. And every three days when you change the pod, all of that data goes to the cloud and it personalizes your effectiveness of the algorithm for you every pod change. So two or three pod changes in, you'll see that the system just continues to get you know more and more effective for you personally. But that's built into that data that demonstrated 74% time and range and really low hypoglycemia. So I think you know it's it's a great system. It will get better and they'll personalize for the yeah. I- I think that's what, you know, it's so funny because when I talk to a lot of people about closed loop or hybrid closed loop, whatever you want to call it, I think one of the most misunderstood factors is they don't realize, hey, that algorithm learned. Yeah. You know, the more, you know, basically the more you feed it, the better it gets. That's right. Yeah. And especially because, you know, with any hybrid system, the users I talk to, they feel they could be more aggressive in their management, Mm -hmm. you know, because they know the system's going to help them. That's right. You know, they're not, let's say, swimming the channel by themselves. Yeah. And it reduce, you know, it does provide that improvement in time and range and reduced workload, reduced cognitive burden for the user. And that's what's so special about the potential of these systems to make an impact in people's lives. Because we know, you know, everybody wants better control, but they, you know, most people don't want to work harder. (laughs) And so if if we can help them get better control without having to work hard for it, that, you know, that's a winning combination. And we've seen these first generation, I think 10 years from now, we're going to look back at the first generation tube systems and wonder how people ever dealt with them, how they ever put them on and and worked with them. Because we've seen what happens when you ask the user to do more, to get more. It's not a good user experience, but we're making rapid improvements to make it easier. Did you find any unique challenges with the FDA when you're going through all this? No, I think the FDA has been incredibly supportive. You know, we were designated a breakthrough devices program participant. And so that means we've had these collaborative reviews for the last few years that we've been in development. I think what I've noticed this last year is just an incredible workload challenge at the FDA with uh, COVID-related EUAs have just been challenging. And our local review team that we work with, have they've been terrific, uh, very collaborative and very supportive. So I think The one thing I would say is, you know, the FDA has been forward leaning with diabetes and innovation. You know, they have really seen the power of integration with consumer technology, the power of integration with different diabetes technologies, and they've worked to establish reimbursement path or um, regulatory pathways to help make this stuff happen. So I think more than any other industry that I've been a part of, I see the agency as very progressive and very supportive. Do you ever envision the day when you'll send somebody a pod filled with insulin? Well, we know that would be a good experience for the user. I think there's some real technical challenges and then there's some distribution challenges like cold storage distribution. So I think economically, it's a little challenging to see how that would work uh, for the user. But we're always evaluating things that we know that our uh, users want. And so I will never say never, but it's probably not in the top five of things that we could envision five to 10 years from now. Well, let's, okay, well, let's, let's rephrase that. Could you ever envision a day when you're shipping with the pods, let's say like a pre-filled cartridge, so you know, all they have to do is put a needle on it and fill the pod? Well, I think that's more of a possibility. <laughs> That's good to know. 
Now, which brings up another interesting, you know, insulin's basically become a commodity, okay? And yes, we have these very large, you know, insulin companies, but for all practical purposes, you know, we have what I think now five long actings, we have four short actings, we have biosimilar short actings, any possibility that insulin gets in the insulin business? You know, I think it's an interesting question because I think we do see the need to provide broader, more affordable access. And I think to the extent that you could bundle these things and get more people broader access, that would be a good thing. You know, when you think about the burden of diabetes, we always think through the lens of the technology and the customer experience. How do we at Insulet lessen that burden for people. But market access is the other huge area. And so we have a lot of innovative strategies. We've talked about some of them to try to reduce burden for the users and make these systems more accessible. I think to the extent that bundling could help make that happen, it would be potentially a strategy that we would consider. You know, you could imagine if we could make the whole systems more affordable because of bundling, then that might be a strategy we'd consider. We've never shared that publicly, and I wouldn't say it's anything that we've got underway, but it's in line with our strategy to make access and make these these uh, technologies easier for people living with diabetes. Well, speaking of that, you could you envision perhaps selling pods through Amazon? Well, you know, Amazon has their pharmacy and their pharmacy acts just like any other pharmacy. So there are today people likely getting their pods through the Amazon pharmacy. You know, right now they're operating just like any other, you know, wholesaler and pharmacy. And, you know, to the extent that they grow and broaden their influence, more and more people will get their pods through Amazon. But I wouldn't say it's been a a, a defined strategy of ours to work with Amazon. Our strategy is to make our available, our products available through your retail pharmacy and whatever is most convenient. That may be mail order, that may be Amazon's pill pack pharmacy, or it may be any other retail pharmacy. And that, that has paid off, by the way, David. I mean, that that has made people living with diabetes, have, this, this strategy has made their lives easier, for sure. We hear that feedback all the time. Well, and, and on top of it, you eliminate the DME co-payments. I mean, it's much easier to go through the pharmacy channel. Yeah, just the cash flow, right? I mean, the, the challenge, because you think what's happened with deductibles in the last several years, people are responsible for larger and larger components of their deductible or larger and larger deductibles, larger components of their costs. You know, if you can afford it, which, you know, many people cannot, but if you can, then you're faced with a cash flow problem. And that has driven all sorts of weird behavior, right? Where consumers will try to stock up in Q4 and then stop ordering in the first part of the year, just in line with, you know, their cash flow challenges. And so that's the beautiful thing, too, about, you know, working with co-pays instead of deductibles, very predictable, very plannable and affordable for our users. I've noticed over the last few earnings calls, I mean, I know you have other things besides diabetes, you don't talk about them as much. Can you at least shed a little bit about what's going on there and what you know other uses that you're working on? Yeah, sure. So, well, drug delivery has been, I think, a pretty exciting component of our business historically. We've got this great partnership with Amgen, and then we have a partnership with Bering. Both, I think, terrific examples of the power of the pod technology for drug delivery. But we've also been really public with the fact that there is this innovation and technology adoption wave happening in diabetes. And we're investing to capture that. So, you know, that is where our primary focus and attention is. And I think 
any good executive team, it's just as important, you know, what we're not doing as what we are doing. And so we have been very explicit about the fact that right now, our primary objective and focus is diabetes. You can imagine, David, the hurdle rate internally to take our eye off the ball in diabetes when we have this market that is growing so rapidly, when we have a what we believe is a differentiated position in the marketplace, we're going to invest to capture that. And drug delivery will remain, I think, a really attractive, optional growth vector for us down the road. But right now, our, our eyes are set on diabetes. Now, let's, let's talk about some of the challenges you face that really are not even related to insulin, but like, you know, you're dealing with all kinds of things now that nobody even thought of years ago. Like you've got the social media component, which depending on your point of view can be a, you know, a blessing or a curse. <laughs> and then you've got this whole digital, virtual COVID related. Talk about that in terms of where are you going with that and how does it change your viewpoint of the future? Yeah. So digital health, I think, you know, sort of the term of the moment. And I think elements of digital health have been so valuable during COVID. You know, we've learned a lot about telehealth and virtual training. When COVID first hit, you know, total endo visits were down in the United States by about 80 to 90%. And thanks to telehealth, we recouped about 30% of those. So it was valuable. It helped people who otherwise would not have had access to their endocrinologist get access to their endocrinologist. You know, it pushed us to say, how are we going to support telehealth and how are we going to support virtual training? All of those tools, you know, were very rapidly developed primarily because they were already in development at Insulet because we were gearing up for how are we going to support scale with Omnipod 5. I think it's been good for patients. You know, I think at the end of the day, now we have the choice to offer and many people are very happy to get trained via virtual tools in the comfort of their own home. But I also think many people crave in-person interactions and probably a few times a year, they're still going to want to see their endocrinologist. They may still want to meet with one of our clinicians. But when we think about routine urgent care, I think telehealth is here to stay for how much, what capacity, somebody else will figure that out. And for us, virtual training is here to stay. For something like Omnipod 5, because it is smartphone controlled, are you using like text messaging to help people? Is that part of the... We'll have online training modules. So for somebody like you, who is currently using an Omnipod and a Dexcom, you will not be required to meet with a clinician to train on the system. So you will go through an online module. If you want to meet with a clinician, either in person or virtually, you can raise your hand and we'll, we'll provide that. But you'll be able to get onto the system without actually having to interact with a clinician. And that that's pretty exciting. You know, that's new. And I think for us, something we a step we had to figure out how to take in order to accommodate scale. Because think about it, you know, if you are a tube pump company, only 25% of your patients are really going to come up for renewal. And then anybody who's willing to pay out of pocket for an upgrade. So you've got this natural governor on the volume of patients that are going to adopt your next generation technology. We removed all those governors because everybody who has access can adopt it, right? They can simply get on as soon as their uh, plan covers it. So we needed to find ways like virtual ways, virtual training, online training, and other support mechanisms to be able to accommodate that scale because we know everybody's going to want the technology. So, you know, all of that has been great from a digital health perspective. You know, I think when we talk about digital health in other ways, when we think about coaching or support programs... My personal belief is that those types of things are probably not going to unlock value unless they're really anchored in a system or a device. 
you know, without the system or the device, they are essentially disease management. And, you know, that's a different ball of wax. (laughs) And then if it is anchored in the system or the device, it could end up just being table stakes. You know, over time, we all develop kind of these virtual training and support mechanisms around our technologies. And then, you know, it's a rising tide for the healthcare system and the patient. It's not necessarily a separate revenue generating business. You know, it could just be wraparound. But I read a, an interesting stat actually a couple of weekends ago that of all of the apps that are downloaded on your phone or my phone, only 30% of them are still used at month three and only 11 percent of them are used at month 12. You know, so I'm very skeptical of the power of apps and the killer app to solve everybody's problems. Okay, let's look out five years. Let's, you know, let's talk about insulin in five years. Let's talk about you in five years. Where are you going to be? (laughs) What's five years going to look like? (laughs) Well, and I'm not going to hold you to it. So, okay. I think what's exciting, we'll launch Omnipod 5 this year. And it is really just the beginning. For us, it's a giant leap forward. It's something we've been working on for, you know, more than half a decade now. But it is just the first step. And we see a long line of really exciting innovation progress that we can make in the marketplace with that as a foundation. You know, we will integrate with more sensors. We will advance the algorithm to provide more automation and less work and less burden for our users. We do think that we will be in a position to provide a lot of insights for our users, you know, we will have all the CGM data coming in. We will have how the user is interacting with our system, the insulin delivery, and vice versa. And so, we should be able to generate a lot of exciting insights for our um, for our consumers. And then, of course, we're also committed to just simplicity, and that starts with the pod. But that is every aspect of how the user interfaces with us. And and I personally think, David, that that's how we win. You know, we that's how what we've been competing on. We're not adding features and functionality unless they make the user's life simple. And we start with the pod on that front, but we can continue. We talked, you mentioned tech support. There's all sorts of ways that customer interacts with us and our technology where we can reduce burden. It's not just about the pod and time and range. It's about product support. It's about access and all of those things. If we can work along each of those dimensions to make life easier for people with diabetes, that's how we, you know, that's our value proposition in the marketplace. Well, okay. Look at it from a different perspective. You know, Tandem just made an investment in Mm C-Core. Dexcom now has a, I guess they would call it a venture capital arm. Yep. What's going on with insulin? You know, we're going to see something like this? (laughs) Well, we're now in a very strong financial position, right? And uh, we just uh, completed our term loan B and um, we'll use that to continue to strengthen the financial position of the company. And uh, that will put us in a position to capitalize on investments in inorganic opportunities should we decide to do that. David, uh, I don't know how public this is known. It's certainly been in the public domain, but we have acquired assets, technologies, and IP that we think will help us, you know, accelerate our innovation or strengthen our portfolio. So it is an area that we're active in. We don't have, you know, a publicly stated venture capital arm, but I think, you know, certainly when you think about where we're positioned, we are now in a very strong market position, a very strong financial position. And our mission is to improve the lives of people with diabetes. It's not just to deliver insulin. So to the extent that, you know, we can invest to make that mission a reality, we'll do that. It's just that right now, we've got a jam-packed organic development pipeline that is very exciting. And so to spend elsewhere right now, 
I mean, we haven't seen the opportunity and we've seen them all, uh, even the ones you mentioned. And we just haven't seen the one that's worth taking investment away from our uh, internal pipeline to place elsewhere. What, what about, you know, and again, nobody's going to hold you to this. You think somebody's going to come along five years from now and say, hey, we really want insulin as part of our portfolio. It's always been the goal. <laughs> no, it's never been my goal. <laughs> no. Um, it may have been the pre- my predecessor predecessor's goal, but certainly not our goal. I think, you know, the way, you know, we're here because we want to work for Insulet and we want to make our mark in the world and our mark on the lives of people with diabetes. And so the way we do that is by continuing to perform and staying very expensive. And that's currently where we are. You know, we are a highly valued company with a strong premium, and that premium is based on our performance and based on the expected future performance. And we keep doing that, and we're going to have a really exciting future with the opportunity to, I think, do really exciting things for people with diabetes. If you had to say, I'll give you like a kind of a wrap up for you, is like, okay, you've been there a while, you've seen this great stuff. Do you find it personally more difficult each year just because you keep clearing hurdles? Yeah, you know, my mentor once described running a public company as a treadmill that just gets faster and the incline gets higher every year, right? Every quarter, really, the incline goes up and the speed goes up and one little trip and, you know, it's painful, painful fall. So I think there is that dynamic of running a public company. But honestly, in my experience with Insulet, every year I get more and more excited so far. It may not always be the case, you know, but but so far, you know, when I first arrived, we were, I always say we were sort of playing to survive. We had some significant challenges in the company. And it was kind of late 2018, early 2019, when I said to the team, look, we have turned the page and now we're playing to win. We're not playing to survive anymore because we are profitable. We have a position in the market. We've solved these quality challenges. Now it's about playing to win and really making good on our mission, you know? And so that, you know, we're in a different world now than we were in 2015, 2016. We've got, in my mind, just a really exciting acceleration of investment and innovation in other areas where, you know, we can really make our mark. And so that that's exciting to me. And every year has gotten more and more confident in what that next five years looks like. And so that's, that's a fun place to be. Well, listen, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure, David. Great to see you.